Welcome to Scavengers Horde, where it's Star Wars podcast, offering thoughts on whatever takes our fancy, be it the latest show on Disney+, Plus, or a weird Legends novelisation you may have forgotten existed. If you're new here, let me introduce myself. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. This is episode 181, and it's 4th of June, 2022. Um, and yet again, we're not going to do recommendations this time, um, because yeah, it's another Kenobi week. So we're mostly going to be talking about the new episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi with full spoilers, obviously. Um, And there has also been like a few other bits of news and whatnot, but we're not going to go into some of the other stuff that came out from Celebration right now, because for various complicated reasons that I won't go into, we don't have much time to record this episode. (laughs) So we want to focus on the most important stuff, essentially. Um, and yeah, and just before we actually get into discussing episode three of Obi-Wan Kenobi, we wanted to talk a bit about a really unfortunate development with Moses Ingram, who plays the third sister in Kenobi. Um, and yeah, could you explain a bit about what's happened to Moses, Kirsty? Yeah, she posted on her Instagram that she'd been receiving horrendous racist abuse from so-called Star Wars fans. Mm. And it's obviously horrific but what's worse is how unsurprising it is yeah like i think the whole fandom was kind of bracing themselves for this to happen and i'd read interviews with her where she'd said that people at lucasfilm had warned her it was going to happen too yeah because obviously at this point this is a clear pattern and it doesn't stop it from being completely horrifying and disgusting but it is just like oh again you know like just complete disappointment yeah so i'd like to say you know that after the many times this has happened before, so obviously it happened with John Baker, it happened with Kelly Marie Tran, it's happened with so many actors, you know, of uh, the recent film since the Disney acquisition, that, you know, you want to be able to say, oh, this won't happen again, you know, but I've never felt like that's been the case, you know, we've just never got there. I feel like there's such a dark element to this fandom, you know, that it's just intent on targeting certain actors of colour, you know, anyone different, essentially, you know, anyone who doesn't match their idea of what the default is or what the norm should be, you know, they immediately come under attack from these people. And it just makes me angry. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to be so inarticulate, but I, yeah, I, I just hate it. I really, really, really hate that the Star Wars fandom just can't seem to get his act together when it comes to this. Yeah, it's hard not to feel complete rage, isn't it? And to be fair, we should be feeling that rage and we should all be expressing it because enough is enough. Yeah. Like, I I want to feel encouraged that um, what looks like a new Star Wars social media team have been a bit more vocal about it and saying this is unacceptable and you're not fans. And obviously they got Ewan McGregor to record a video, which really helped. And I saw other people like Rupert Friend and I, you know, I even saw Flea on Instagram. Like all sorts of people involved have been sticking up for Moses, which is obviously great. Yeah. But I think Lucasfilm really need to acknowledge and start dealing with the fact that there is this pretty sizable and influential portion of the fan base. And I don't, we shouldn't even be calling them fans because yeah. it's so cynical what they do really they disguise themselves as fans, but that's not really what they're about. It's just like using Star Wars as a recruitment ground for fascism and just white supremacy. Yeah. And just monetizing hatred. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, it's really, really grim. And it's been there for so long. And I think they 
thought initially that the best tactic was to kind of ignore it and hope it would go away and really that's the wrong thing to do yeah i don't have the magic solution but they need to figure it out and it makes people feel unsafe you know in person and online yeah for sure yeah like i would agree that like i do take some heart in seeing the more proactive response from lucasfilm like on star wars social media accounts and the fact that there's clearly such a vocal and unified response from the people working on Kenobi, right? The fact that everyone is making it 100% crystal clear that this is despicable and wrong. And, you know, these people have no right to call themselves fans, <laughs> you know, if they're pulling bullshit like this. So I, I'm pleased about that. But yeah, I just feel like there's more that's got to be done, I guess, especially in just terms of like finding ways to like stop this before it happens like and I'm not saying I know how to do that you know I'm not saying it's easy like because it's like whack-a-mole there are so many of these accounts there's so many of these toxic individuals you know that form these groups and weaponize hatred like this but yeah I feel like there's got to be a real strategy you know behind how to really stamp out those elements of fandom because it's just grim it's really grim yeah I, I, like I said, I don't have a solution and maybe there is not one. Yeah. But I think they do need to be talking to people, you know, who you could consider experts on this. Yeah. And actually, like, developing, as you say, a strategy and whether that's multi-pronged, like, um, being proactive. And I think it's, it's been this thing where maybe they don't want people like Kathleen Kennedy speaking about it vocally because in a way that would, like, draw attention to it and make it seem a bigger thing than it is. But if you don't do that it just kind of allows it to fester and grow quietly until something explosive like this happens and it does get press attention but you know we really want people to understand it's not an isolated incident these people are there all the time um trying to make the fandom experience as unpleasant as possible for marginalized fans and it's just not it's not fair and it's dangerous and um it's not going to go away like just by itself yeah for sure I, I did see Moses thanking people for the support but I'm just so heartbroken that she had to post that in the first place you know yeah no it's horrible because she's obviously brand new to Star Wars right and I can imagine how exciting it is to get a huge role like this and obviously it's not her first big role she had a big important role in the Queen's Gambit too but you know Star Wars is at another level in terms of like pop culture recognition you know and the number of people who are going to see you in your performance so that must be incredibly exciting as an actor and then for that to be tainted you know by having people literally bring abuse to your personal accounts i i can't imagine how awful that must feel yeah oh, that's the thing i think lucasfilm need to start addressing the fact that yes of course they want a diverse cast and you know a diverse crew and as possible people from all walks of life working on these things but you're going to lose those people unless you actually have a strategy to protect them you know it's not going to be appealing for people if they feel like they're putting themselves in danger yeah for sure exactly they're really gonna alienate potential talent you know that would in theory be perfect for roles they might be developing for future projects so yeah i think it's in everyone's interests to like really stamp down on this hard and yeah again i think what like kirsty says it's not going to be a single solution it's not 
a simple problem, you know, that can just be fixed by doing one thing. But I think there are measures that can be taken, you know, to really like marginalise and stamp out these like toxic, like hateful people. So, yeah, I really hope that more's done going forward. And, and I do appreciate and acknowledge the steps forward that have been taken in terms of approaching this, because I think there was just total silence, you know, for the longest time when poor Kelly Marie Tran was just facing the most vile abuse, right? So, yeah, I'm glad that there's been some change since that time. So that was awful, just awful. It was awful. And like we said, it's been encouraging to see them kind of turn things around and more vocally support her. And obviously she was at Celebration meeting people and it looked like she had a great time. Yeah, But I do... It is an uncomfortable narrative overall to look at because it's like, and I know that Star Wars is a brand. It's not an individual or like even a small selection of people. A lot of people work there who must have been completely not okay with how Kelly was treated. But the collective silence, it's like you guys were kind of complicit in that. Yeah. Just by not getting ahead of it. That's kind of what we're saying. It's good to see that now, but I wish there had been some acknowledgement or apology you know, she had an op-ed in the New York Times and it just went unmentioned. Yeah. So. Exactly. You know, some some acknowledgement of that responsibility would go far, I think. Yeah. Not just with the people who it's directly affecting, but with the fans. Yeah. No, I agree. I think, yeah. But I'd even like to see retroactive stuff, to be honest, about, yeah, the failings that have been made in the past. I have seen, like, a tweet from Pablo Hidalgo, you know, who... I think was pretty open about the fact, you know, that the previous response has been totally inadequate and that's putting it kindly, you know. So I think it's obvious that they know and yeah, it's good that some steps are being taken, but definitely a long way to go still. Mm -hmm. So, right, let's move on to discuss episode three or part three, as it's known of Obi-Wan Kenobi um, and as before from the beginning this will be a full spoiler discussion so yeah turn back now if you haven't watched it I'd be very surprised <laughs> if you haven't watched it um, but yeah that's what we're going to talk about yeah so what did you think about episode 3 of Obi-Wan Kenobi Kirsty? I enjoyed 90% of it that's good that's a promising and I like, strongly enjoyed it as well like this was a good episode I thought yeah um, yeah, the Obi-Wan and Leia stuff continues to be an absolute delight. And, like, that was a surprise for me. Like, I didn't expect that going in to be the runaway success part of the show, yeah. you know? Like, I'd heard that Leia was going to be in it, but I didn't know the extent, and I didn't know that she'd have a ton of scenes with Obi-Wan, and I didn't know how, like, intimate those scenes would be and how much you'd learn about both characters. And I really think it strengthens what comes later. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's, it's really lovely. Yeah, I agree. I think their bond in this episode in particular was just so lovely and well-written and special. You know, so I, I really feel like all those interactions that Obi-Wan had with Leia in this episode in particular, I feel like that's the best character writing we've had for Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan in any of the live-action material, to be honest. You know, I just love their interactions that much. And they just feel so like true and authentic to that character and they also feel 
like well judged interactions for there to be between you know like a grown disillusioned middle aged man and a young child you know who's just learning about the world and is full of this curiosity and wonder and adventure you know they just have the most wonderful interactions like I loved when Leia was asking him to explain the force Mm. and how he explained it as being like having a light in the darkness and how it makes you feel safe you know I just thought that was such such a wonderful explanation and just perfect because of how it would resonate with child so yeah i just thought it was amazing every time they find a new way to explain the force to someone in star wars i'm like oh yeah that's good (laughs) yeah that might be the best (laughs) the the luke and ray scene in the last jedi is really great as well and obviously it's very different and it all depends on like who the characters are and where they're at and how they're at that point communicating with each other but it's like oh it just gives you an extra perspective on it and obviously he's trying to talk to her he's you know he's back in obi-wan teacher mode yeah and that's really lovely for a second exactly Um, and i think she is surprising him as well i think her friendship with him is really going to turn out to be a gift because obviously he's watching over luke but it's very much from a distance and really the main dynamic there is like the resentment from owen yeah (laughs) but this is like you know they're developing i don't I don't know what to call it because it is a friendship but it's it's more than that because he was so close to her father and they're having these really lovely exchanges about family and what they miss and what what he regrets and I think it's revealing a lot about how he felt about the Jedi Order as well and where his life's gone yeah for sure Um, yeah unexpected yeah like I really loved you know him recalling like his own earliest memories of before he was taken from his family right you know Mm. recalling like the little details like his mother's shawl and the fact that he had a baby brother apparently yeah ray kenobi crumbs (laughs) (laughs) she could be his niece i was like that is a very very (laughs) deliberate inclusion you know they really want us to know that he probably has a baby brother somewhere like and because of where I'm at, you know, I'm just in my mind thinking, what are they going to do with Obi-Wan's brother now? <laughs> Maybe nothing, yeah. but it's there if someone wants to pick up the thread. Yeah. Obviously, I'm joking about Rey Kenobi. That that ship has long sailed, but, it, you know, it was a popular theory back when. Yeah. And it go- goes to show that it could have gone that way. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Could be Obi-Wan yeah, really- Kenobi. <laughs> sorry that was a really bad joke i'm so sorry he's just giving him so much humanity and depth that you know i've always loved obi-wan as a character but he had to be i mean he had his like quippiness which was always fun but he had to be the stoic jedi with a ton of responsibility and duty and you know made a lot of sacrifices in terms of his personal life and feelings and now he's kind of looking back on that yeah Exactly, he's he's had all this time for reflection away from that structure and discipline, right? And yeah, it's going to be the perfect opportunity to really analyse it and think about what what are the actual ethics of that, you know? And I love that he did wish, you know, that he could have like known his family more, you know, known about and known who his brother was and all that sort of thing. So I feel like Mm. those are the sorts of thoughts that if they'd been expressed in the context of the Jedi Order, they would have almost been like considered warning signs, you know, like, oh crap, we need to keep a close eye on this one. Um, but now, obviously, it's not good that the Jedi were all destroyed and massacred, etc. But in a way, the freedom it gives someone like Obi-Wan Kenobi for personal exploration 
I personally think that is good and I like that because you know I think we're all about having a more like open perspective on the force you know and like breaking down some of those barriers that existed in the old Jedi order um mm. yeah I, I'm not a huge fan of how the prequel Jedi were operating basically and I feel like Obi-Wan isn't either at this point so <laughs> he's definitely had time to reflect on the failures yeah, yeah. Exactly. So what did you think about all the like Obidala tea? <laughs> <laughs> I love that exchange yes. because it had so many different potential readings to it and there's probably a few different meanings in what he's conveying there, right? Yeah. Should we set it up for people a bit in terms of what this is like? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. People have obviously watched the show, hopefully. But she realizes when he's having his cover story like oh i'm here to show her where i met her mother and as he's like saying oh because he accidentally calls her leia right she's got a code name going on and then he, he almost blows it for them yeah and he's saying oh sometimes when i look at her face i can't help but see her mother and she realizes that he's kind of being honest with that statement it's not just for the stormtroopers benefit yes. and when they've gone she says you knew her like she can just detect that again and um there's this moment where she thinks that he's her real father and he says i wish wish i could say i was yeah. i think and i think you know he's being honest there because i think for some reasons like obviously he doesn't want leia to know that her father is darth vader sure yeah and he knows that you know she's obviously got an adopted family now who love her very much but there's all this trauma there you know, yeah. and maybe on another level, he wishes that he had a family of his own so that he wasn't so lonely. Yeah. Now the Jedi are gone. Exactly. And I think it's also just about, you know, he's become so connected to Leia over the course of this experience that he really wants to be able to give her a nice answer over who her biological father is, right? He yeah. wants to be able to say that, yes, it's me, I'm like a kind, noble Jedi, and I had to give you up for good reasons, blah, 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 um, to loving parents who looked after you, etc. Um, but obviously he's destroyed internally by the knowledge that her father's this monster, right? So... Yeah. Yeah, I felt like the performances sold that so well. You know, I'm astonished by how good the little girl playing Leia is. You know, I think... She was really great in this she's episode, She's amazing. Especially. Yeah, just like the subtlety she brings to it, you know. And there's so much, like, emotional complexity, you know, and how she delivers the lines and stuff. And I'm like, crap, you know. It's almost <laughs> uncanny how good she is, you know, that's why. It's, yeah. yeah, it's such a tall order as well, isn't it, when she's playing someone who obviously we know a lot about already. And then we're going into her past, but I don't know, there's just little mannerisms and the way she delivers certain lines. It just feels, I don't know, really well done. Yeah. No, I think she definitely has a bright future ahead as an actor. She's incredibly talented. You know, those lines, they are not trying to imply that there was a romantic liaison between Obi-Wan and... No, but that doesn't stop the shippers. No, exactly. And I wanted to say more power to the Obi-Dallas shippers, you know. So the thing is, they are real. You know, they are people who've existed ever since probably Phantom Menace, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Well, certainly Phantom Menace, we know, so we did an episode on that, right? Yeah, and the three of them as a... Fripple. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) triad. Triad. (laughs) You're right. I guess that's more of an appropriate Star Wars uh, term. Yeah. So. <laughs> I haven't checked AO3, but I think that's a very popular. Yeah. Song. No, it's definitely a thing. So it's a little gift. Yeah. 
And I kind of love, you know, that there might be people who got really into that with The Phantom Menace. And then, obviously, you know, they, I'm sure people with The Phantom Menace, they understood that Padme was ultimately going to marry Anakin, etc. But, you know, they held a candle. She could have had a little crush on yeah, everyone. Yeah, exactly. She could have had a crush. And can you imagine if you ship them, like, back in 1999, and then 23 years later, you get the payoff <laughs> of all this dialogue and all these references to how Obi-Wan feels about Padme. You know, because it is establishing, you know, that he feels deep sorrow, you know, over what became of Padme. You know, and that he feels real responsibility to her because of, like, the awful tragedy surrounding her dying after having the children, etc. So... Yeah, I think it's all really powerful stuff and I think that's the sort of dialogue and drama in this show that kind of adds new layers to the prequels and makes them better. So yeah, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I saw some people talking as well about how, you know, when Leia obviously remembers Padme, which doesn't really line up with the prequels, but if you take it as, well, she was Force-sensitive, so maybe she does have those memories in there somewhere, then Obi-Wan was at her birth too. Yes. So maybe that's how she has that inkling. Like, wait, are you my father? Yeah, exactly. Like, if you have, like, a memory of his presence, you know, from your, like, early infancy, yeah, that's a logical deduction to make. <laughs> so, yeah, God, the Force, crazy stuff. Um, yeah, so just on a comical note... And there's a moment early in the episode where Obi-Wan sees someone in a hood in the distance. (laughs) (laughs) I sent Kirsty like a tweet with like screenshots showing that it was clearly Hayden Christensen as Anakin. And I was like, what? I had no idea. (laughs) I'm dying to know. I want to understand what you thought that scene was about, if not that. (laughs) Just some random person. I think... I was kind of like a bit distracted by other things when I was watching, but I think at the time I was thinking, oh, maybe that person will come back later and will understand the purpose of why they were there. But that's a little bit odd. (laughs) I'm glad you sent it to me so that we could talk about it. Because we were both like, oh, God, you know, with that Vader stuff, it's like... I'm of the opinion, and I know some fans will feel differently, and obviously there's more to come, but I don't feel like just having Hayden in the suit like that really justifies bringing him back, especially yeah. as it's the fake James L. Jones voice. Yes. Which obviously it has to be. It can't be Aiden, but like, um, I just, I hope that they do more of that with him. Like as obviously like he's at the point where he's turned in Revenge of the Sith, but he hasn't been burned yet. Yeah. yeah I feel like they could do a lot with that. So when that happened, it got me really excited. Um, because that's you know even before the show came out we were like well maybe like it'll be obi-wan having visions of him or like a weird like force connection thing like the last jedi you know they could play around with all sorts of stuff and maybe we'll have more of that but as i understood that scene itself it was like he was kind of seeing things right he was thinking about anakin so he's haunting him in a way but it wasn't really anakin i've seen theories that it's like anakin projecting himself to him to try and find him but i don't I don't think that's what the intent yeah. was there. I feel like it's more Obi-Wan's guilty conscience. Right. right. Yeah. Because I, as far as I remember that moment, you know, when he sees that hooded figure, who is it, Anakin? Um, <laughs> um, that's quite early in the episode. And obviously at the yeah. end of the previous episode, that's when he realises that Anakin is still alive, right? So mm-hmm. I think when you connect those two pieces together, I think the appearance definitely makes the most sense as is something Obi-Wan is seeing for himself. It's not 
perhaps anything to do with what Anakin might might be doing. <laughs> so. Yeah. In terms of like the story that's actually happening here and why they're on this planet, I did like how he was like ready to give up on it and was like, oh, we can't trust anyone. See, I knew he was lying to us. And like, Leia's trying to reassure him, you know, people are good. Yeah. Because he, he, what is it he says? Like, not all people are good, Leia. And he sounds like really angry. Yes. Like we are, again, it's reminded me a lot of Luke in The Last Jedi where you do need like that younger, more optimistic figure to kind of inspire them to get back in the fight and and kind of revive their their confidence. Yeah, Um, that's true. I'm getting so many sequel trilogy vibes in the series, I must say. And I'm not sure how consciously, you know, they're thinking, oh, we want to evoke, you know, this characterization of Luke from The Last Jedi. But I'm really feeling that. And I'm not sure if that's because there is any conscious effort being done to do that or just because you know star wars is obviously variations on particular themes right over and over so yeah yeah. it could just as easily be that ryan was doing that in the other way yeah so it all does connect together exactly but you're right that it very much feels like an extra part of the skywalker saga it's kind of funny that people at lucasfilm are like yeah we're moving away from it it's like well it's kind of pretty entrenched guys (laughs) yeah this could have been a movie really yeah Exactly. And I will also just say, um, because that's the first time we've seen Hayden as Anakin since Revenge of the Sith, he still has that glower perfectly. It's a wonderful glower. <laughs> he, he does it very well. So, yeah, I do agree, though, in all seriousness, that I hope we get to see more of him, you know, as Hayden, you know, seeing the face, etc. Because I'm not convinced he's doing any of the stuff in the Vader suit, to be honest. Um, I might be wrong. Oh, you mean you don't think it's physically him in it? I don't think so, no. Oh, okay. I just kind of assumed it was, because I know he was in the suit for Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. I think maybe for, like, a very few select scenes, and obviously it's him in the tank, right, at the end of episode two. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I know for a fact that there were other people on set who were not Hayden Christensen in the Vader suit. I didn't know that. Yeah. Sorry if I'm breaking... Furthering my disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. Like, again, I enjoyed the vast majority of this episode. It was just like right at the end, I was like, oh, this is kind of what I was afraid of in terms of them having their rematch of the century. And I maybe there's going to be a future encounter too. Yeah. But I don't know, it just didn't quite work for me. Yeah, I do feel like a lot of the action in the final 10, 15 minutes is very muddled, to put it kindly. You know, in terms of I can't work out how characters get from one place to another. It felt like it was almost repeating itself in a way, like he was going around the same... Was he? Was that intentional? I don't like know. Like they were kind of going around in circles? Don't... Yeah, it did feel like he was running around a very small area, kind of being like, ah. It's just so funny to see these characters in what's essentially like a quarry yeah. setting. It gave me major Doctor Who vibes, because I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, and like every other alien planet in Doctor Who is a quarry. <laughs> because it's cheap it's cheap to film in quarries right well yeah yeah, because last time we were talking about the Ewoks movies I was again oh yeah it's like this is TV so I get it but there's something about the visuals that um, it feels even sloppier than like the Mandalorian or Book of Boba Fett yeah I, I don't mind so much because I think the story is holding it up and I think the performances are so like you know, I can compartmentalize that to an extent. I think it's also just hard not to compare like them in that setting. And possibly this is like a very intentional like contrast to feel kind of anticlimactic and rushed and unprepared in a way that like they're in, as we said, like it's a quarry basically compared to like 
Mustafar. Yeah. Or on the Death Star. You know, like it just, it's very <laughs> uh, casual and like obviously a lived in environment. Yeah. Surrounded by civilians. Like, I don't know. I just wasn't, it might just take me time to get used to it and then I'll return to this episode in a bit and feel differently. But right now it just feels so odd to me. And Steele said something actually, Steele Saunders on Twitter pointed out, and I think this is a key part of it. We don't see Vader outside very much. Yes. In like these kind of natural environments. And obviously that is also by design, isn't it? That he's meant to be in these very sterile, um, inorganic environments. Yeah. He does look extremely out of place in that particular yeah. landscape. I would definitely agree. Yeah. And again, maybe that is very much intentional. It just kind of took me back and I was like, oh, it just feels so weird to see Darth Vader like strolling down a street. Yeah. And I think to me, like the whole thing feels a bit like a fever dream. Right. And I think yeah. partially that's intentional, you know. So is I saw some people, yeah. yeah, theorizing that it was a dream. Right. Yeah. And I understand why people would reach that conclusion. So it's, it just all feels bizarre. Right. Because there's a lot of darkness as yeah. well, isn't there? And it's obviously like Obi-Wan's like turning around and he's disoriented. He doesn't know where Vader's going to come from. And then he turns on his saber and he's like fumbling and everything. It's all. But I've seen other people make like a a horror movie comparison that it feels like you know he's he's being chased yeah. and i don't know i think i just have to watch it a few more times and kind of um solidify my opinion on it because it just didn't quite work for me and i think there are a few different reasons but it might just be a case of it wasn't what i expected yeah no i think that's fair and i definitely get the vibe from it you know that he feels like he's being hunted you know in that scene and he is vader is literally hunting him yeah, you can sense his panic. Obi, like Ewan did a good job. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I think um, you said to me, Kirsty, that it was a bit like eh, when like Vader actually like tried to like fry Kenobi, <laughs> <laughs> like on a, on a fire pit. <laughs> it was definitely reminding me, and I've seen other people say the similar things that like it's like in the Rise of Skywalker when Palpatine is like, oh, well, your grandfather threw me down a pit, so I'm going to do the same to the last Skywalker. (laughs) (laughs) You've been thinking about this for years, haven't you? It's so petty. (laughs) It's really funny. (laughs) Yeah, so, and it's, I think that sort of undercuts it a bit for me because obviously it's meant to be horrific, right? But I just found it so ludicrous that, and petty that it was hilarious to me slightly. Yeah. Um, because yeah. it's hard not to be reminded that it's Anakin in there <laughs> and he's like speaking as Anakin like I am what you made me like it's just like I just can't picture Hayden doing that but like <laughs> yeah it, it's very odd especially that that would be his first reaction although I guess in a way thinking about how like hot-headed and temptuous Anakin was I guess it kind of makes sense in line with how Anakin was characterized but it's just yeah. a, it must be such a shock for obi-wan who like you know a couple of days before thought that his best friend had died yeah. and he was he was responsible for that in a way and then all of a sudden he's here pursuing him like you know when, when they're in that hideout base and he's like looking through the the window yes and he can like sense him coming it's just like it's really scary like how can i hold his breath your breath so it is effective in that sense you know and you know he's going to be fine yeah but um yeah just so strange I, I didn't expect their confrontation so soon but i guess they do kind of set it up in the episode that like you know reva has the the hologram scene 
with Vader and he's like, this is our number one priority. Like, we have to find him. Yeah. Send out the probe droids. Exactly. And I did feel like Reva got some really good moments in this episode as well. There's a moment when she's in, like, the little room, you know, that is kind of like a hiding place, you know, for fugitive Jedi and Force sensitives, I guess. And there's all the graffiti on on the walls that people have left over the years. And I think she sees the symbol of the Jedi Order. You can just see this like look of like total conflict and, recogn- and recognition on her face. Mm. You know, she definitely reinforces the fact she's one of those children in the Order sixty six scene, right? Um, but yeah, I just loved Moses' like performance there. I think there's some really nice little subtleties to it. Yeah, I agree. Um, and yeah, just like the continued infighting between the Inquisitors will never not be funny to me. Yeah, that's um. I think the other guy was like in the way almost. I really like her dynamic with, I can't remember his title. Oh, is it um, Biff Brother? So there's clearly four others somewhere out there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're quite entertaining together. Yeah, they make like a good petty twosome. Yes, I've already informed him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, you're taking the credit. I see what you're doing. Well, that's funny because like in the previous episodes, Fifth Brother didn't strike me as particularly power hungry. He just seemed like someone who was just like, you know, living his life, wanted to do the job, make sure he did it well. So he wasn't like going to get incinerated or anything. But he didn't seem to have any aspirations towards power. Whereas now he's like, I want to be the Grand Inquisitor. (laughs) Okay. Maybe now he's seen that he's gone. He's like, oh, there's an opening. <laughs> I better take my chance. Exactly. I reckon he's the sort of guy where if it weren't for like Reva being super competitive, he would have just like filled in a paper application. <laughs> he's like very procedural somehow. Um, yeah, good for him. Um, and yeah, there was also um, the character of Freck, who is like an alien truck driver, I suppose, who picks mm. up Obi Wan and Leia early on. You know when they're like trying to Mole man. get to safety. Um, and yeah i think you sent me like a really good tweet thread about him didn't you and like what an interesting characterization he represents yeah i was really impressed by what they were able to do with that character in such a short space of time because it makes the world feel a lot more lived in you know meeting like regular people who are trying to live under the empire and like are they going to be against it or are they going to keep quiet and it's 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 interesting how he like appears so friendly at first and is offering them a ride and obviously obi-wan is like skeptical and then it's like oh i don't know about this layer and she just wants to get on and then he sees the flag and realizes they are putting themselves in danger yeah. but the way he's presenting himself to them is very much like oh well we should all be for the empire you know what's wrong with a little bit of order and then ultimately like betrays them and drops them off obviously it, he gets what he deserves after that i just think that was all very well done for the amount of time they had to kind of put forward those ideas and it just kind of makes the world feel a lot more lived in and dangerous yeah exactly and i like that they didn't make him like cartoonishly evil right he felt very like ordinary you know in almost every respect and the fact that he seems so well liked by everyone you know he's like very affable you know he's clearly like buddies with the stormtroopers you know they're Mm. on first name terms with him um and yeah i just felt like that was a very unusual kind of dynamic that you don't normally see this is normally framed as like the stormtroopers and the imperial officers are one group 
And then the civilians, like, are another group, you know, and they're the oppressed people, they're the good guys, you know, who want the rebellion to help them. So I feel like actually seeing civilians who are very much, like, collaborators and believe in what the Empire is doing, that's something we don't see a lot of, but, you know, if this is to be a believable, like, fantasy world, of course there would be people like that, right? So, yeah, mm-hmm. it was good to see that represented. Yeah, and the way that Leia poses the question to Obi-Wan as well, like, well, isn't the Empire here to help us? And he can't give her a straightforward answer because her father works in the Senate, you know? So he's technically part of the Empire too, but he's trying to do the whole working from the inside thing. So there are, like, levels of nuance here that, you know, they don't really have time for in the movies. So it's just giving you kind of another angle. Exactly. So yeah, what did you think about Tala, who was played by Indira Varma? I was really pleasantly surprised that she wasn't just the regular imperial person. Oh, same! Yes, because (laughs) we saw that shot of her, right, in the imperial officer's uniform in the trailer. And I was like, oh man, really? That's what you're doing with that actor? Because she's so good in other things I've seen her in, right? So yeah, I agree. I was really thrilled when that turned out to be a bit of a double bluff. And I think that was just such a great point for Obi-Wan as well to realise, because obviously it's contrasting from when he meets the Benny Safdie, sorry, I don't know his character's name, but that Jedi at the beginning, and he's like, no, what are you doing? And he's starting to realise that there is a bit more of an organised resistance, and there are people, there's a community still, and they're all collaborating, and that you know they have these safe houses throughout the galaxy. I mean, that's, that's wonderful, isn't it? So I think he's starting to realise that there is still something worth holding on to. And I really love that idea as well, the sense that there's this network of people who are helping fugitive Jedi and like force sensitives, you know, who were perhaps born since the Empire took over, because that feels like such an inevitability almost, you know, in the context of the Star Wars universe. Like, was there any hint that anything like that existed in someone like Rebels? You know, we're obviously, I know the well, young character in that is a like Jedi, you know, like how did that work in terms of him being discovered and wasn't he under threat you know as a young force sensitive in that series yeah because there's the stuff with um kanan and luminara and Dooley. like there is this sense of the the jedi being hunted for sure and having to be careful about what they're doing but this was just like another take on that and i'd fully hold up my hands and say this was the glupshito moment <laughs> but i really liked that they named quinlan and said he'd been there and was helping them <laughs> yes but yeah, it's just really nice to hear that he's still out there. Yeah, he's out there in the galaxy. Maybe cool. he helps Grogu. <laughs> yes. Yes, didn't they say that he helps kids sometimes? Yeah. yeah. Oh, what a good guy. Yeah, so there's definitely lots of room there, potentially. Yeah, I bet there's going to be lots of theorising on the internet about who should play him in live action. Yeah. It was just also really, like, you could see Obi-Wan's face kind of light up a little bit, like hearing his name. Yes. And just kind of having that connection again after 10 years of isolation yeah no, i thought that was really cool and it's like a nice way to marry you know the live action prequel stuff with the like animated um like material right so i know mm. that like quinlan yeah. is based i think on like an extra i suppose from the phantom menace oh yeah he's in it yeah but retroactively that was Quinlan right he wasn't envisaged as Quinlan by George Lucas I don't think so as as far as I can remember Um, but yeah this episode ends with little Leia being confronted by Reva as she's about to escape into like a spaceship I suppose 
Okay, can you help me understand how Reva got to her? Yeah. Because I watched it even a second time. I was like, wait a minute. So she's at that entrance to the tunnel and then somehow gets to the end before her. Does she go back out and like find where the shortcut is or something? I literally have no idea. Um, okay. So, again, <laughs> very confusing. I, I do feel like there's a lot of spatial stuff, to be honest, in this episode that doesn't make sense. Right. You, you know, yeah. even in terms of like how the hell does Tala get to Kenobi? <laughs> you know. Exactly, because she's coming back up the tunnel. She says goodbye to Leia and turns around, yes. and yet Reva doesn't see her. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> like, am I stupid? Am I missing you, something? You are not stupid. Um, it is confusing. I think at a bare minimum there must be other tunnels, right? <laughs> so, I think that it's can explain the part edit. about how Tala gets away. But in terms of mm. how Reva catches up with Leia as she does, and you know, even kills the like person who was waiting for Leia, you know, I have no explanation for that. It's confusing. Right. Mm. Yeah. But I will say yeah, I'm it's... happy that Leia and Reva have met now because I think that's gonna be really quite critical to Reva's development moving forward. Mm. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how she reacts as like Leia starts talking to her about stuff and maybe it takes a child to ask her innocent questions about what happened to her. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like, you know, Leia and Obi-Wan have had conversations about his childhood, you know, and him finding his found family of the Jedi Order, you know, and if Leia were to touch upon anything vaguely similar with Reva, I think that would uncover a very painful story. And I feel like we're probably going to get flashbacks, you know, of her childhood and what her life was like before she was found by the Inquisitors, right? So, yeah, I think we're going to get a lot more flesh on the bone there. Do you think there's a chance that Reva could find out or become suspicious that Luke and Leia are Anakin's children? Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like I hope she doesn't, because I think if she does, then she's a definite goner. (laughs) You know, I don't see how (laughs) narratively she could survive having that information in her brain, right? Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think... Because I find the character interesting and I want to see more stories of her, I hope not. But I certainly think it could happen, you know, especially she's going to have this close interaction with Leia, you know, and she's clearly quite astute in terms of, like, perceiving things. So, yeah, we will find out soon, I suppose. Yeah. I just like feeling excited to watch the next episode yeah no same i love this and i'm really happy we've been able to do a podcast specifically about an episode right um because Mm -hmm. it's nice to do it with that whole like cliffhanger feeling of not knowing what's coming next um so yeah it's good and hopefully we can do it again for the next episode um so yeah fingers crossed so one thing i know that we know they were filming a lot of this stuff on sets but did the location of that planet kind of remind you of the Mandalorian on the episode where like they go to rescue well Grogu gets kidnapped and like Boba Fett appears oh my god yes you're so right like I hadn't consciously (laughs) thought about that but I have that picture of Hayden standing you know in the I don't even know what to call it the tundra or whatever um and it really does look very much like that Mandalorian episode so it would not surprise me if they used the same location twice let's put it that way yeah but it's meant to be an entirely different planet (laughs) It's Doctor Who syndrome. One quarry can be many different yeah, planets. <laughs> it is quite endearing, really. Yes. It's just funny coming from Star Wars because you're just so used to ha- having these like massive, unlimited budgets and amazing effects and stuff. For sure. But it is like the Doctor Who version. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> like, 
it was cool to see a lightsaber fight, you know, even one where Obi-Wan is really rusty and not very good, you know. Um, but like, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I found that the lighting, you know, from the sabers was so harsh on their faces. You know, yeah. there was like none of the usual nuance I'm used to seeing from the films. It just seemed like really kind of like ugly looking. Whereas I find the light from, whereas I find the light cast by lightsabers in the films really quite beautiful and ethereal. Here it was like a glare, you know, on them. And I, that was probably too deliberate to an extent, but I also didn't really like the aesthetic of it. And yeah, that's yeah. the sort of thing to me that screams TV versus movies, right? So. Yeah, I think yeah when they're playing to the medium strengths like with the close-ups on their faces as they're sitting in that truck talking to each yeah. other that's when the show shines exactly and quiet extended dialogue scenes I think that's what the show does best yeah so hopefully there's more of that to come yeah, exactly that's definitely what we need <laughs> um okay right unfortunately we need to wrap this up here so we've got places to be and people to see um but yep i'm rachel and you can find me on twitter at rachel1918 i'm kirsty and you can find both of us on twitter at scavengers horde until next time bye bye